Will you join me for prayer? Holy and gracious Father, our hearts struggle so much with fear and worry. The cares of this world cling deep to us. Lord, we have worry about financial matters. We have worry about health issues. We have worry about our families. Holy and gracious Father, we, we simply pray this morning that you would speak into our worry, that you would turn our eyes away from such worry and turn them instead towards you, that we might look to you, return to you with hearts that trust your promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been a Christian for a while... Whenever a pastor or whenever a church reads Malachi, Malachi 3, you simply go, oh, a pledge drive must be in store. <laughs> right? You, you know that. In fact, whenever my, when I told my dad I was preaching on Malachi 3, he said, okay, Russ, so are you going to talk to the church about money today? And I said, Dad, no. He said, what? I've only heard that. I said, no, that's next Sunday. Instead, the question for us today is where do you turn when things are going bad? Where do you turn when things are going bad? This week I received a phone call from a friend, a dear friend who's frustrated with the financial matters, we, uh, the markets. And we talked for a while and we, we shared our frustrations together. Our conversation over time turned to Jesus, turned to faith, turn to matters of thanking God that we can lay our guilt and our worry upon Jesus, that he can take that and carry that for us. It's funny, after we had talked for a while, we said our byes, and, and afterwards I felt better from our conversation. Now, we didn't fix the financial markets. We didn't fix our frustrations. However, in gathering together, Two believers sharing our frustration, sharing our faith with each other, we were sustained. We were fixed, at least in part. Where do you turn when things are going bad? In our reading from Malachi, we discover that the people of Israel were in a bad place. There was drought gross immorality, exploitation of the poor, ignorance among the people, and profane worship. I was wondering, as reading, is he talking about America today? Yeah. <laughs> or the people of Israel? In fact, the worship was so bad that in chapter 1, God says this. He says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fire on my altar. Could you believe that? God's just saying, I wish as a people you'd just close down the temple and no one would go there because the worship is so bad that I'd rather them not even come. That's bad. <laughs> even worse, in the midst of such despair, 
The people of Israel refused to turn to God. Instead, they turned away from God. As you heard in our reading from chapter 3 of Malachi, it says, God is speaking, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. You've turned away from my decrees and haven't kept them. I mean, talk about an accusation. Talk about a laundry list, right? I mean, ever since the beginning, ever since I grabbed you, ever since I called you, made you people, what do you do? You always turn away. And then he goes on. God goes on to say in verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? And I say, in tithes and offerings. You see, the problem that was going on in the passage was that when things went bad, when, when their economy went bad, when their worship went bad, instead of repenting, instead of turning to God, they turned away from God. And in fact, they would offer impure offerings. They began to offer impure offerings, and they began to oppress the poor. Now, what in the world is an impure offering? It's something like this. God demands a, a pure lamb delivered, you know, and when you're making an offering. But things are tight. You don't want to give up your best lamb. So what do you do instead? You find that lamb that looks pretty good but might be blind. Let's give that one to the Lord. But we'll keep our good one. Or let's give the one that has a limp and it's a little defective. Let's give that one to the Lord because, God forbid, my good lamb, I need it too much. Or with the poor. We can't really help the poor or not so much, because we don't have that much. And so the people of Israel kept their offering. They kept their, 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 their stuff to themselves. Now, the problem isn't really the offering at all. The problem is the heart behind it. And that's what God's problem is. The heart that says, God, I can't give you this because I'm afraid that you're not going to take care of me. That's God's problem. The problem is that they didn't trust that God would take care of them. They didn't trust that God would provide for them. They didn't trust that God actually cared for them or actually loved them. In fact, one of the, the things that struck me when I read Malachi was, was the book of Malachi was the very first or second verse where it begins and it says, God says, I have loved you to the people of Israel. And their reply is, how have you loved us? I have loved you, God says, and their reply, how have you loved us, God? Do you see the problem? They, they don't actually believe that God loves them. They don't actually believe that God provides for them. They don't actually believe that God has sustained them or cared for them or forgiven them or made a covenant with them. They don't believe that. They don't believe in the goodness of God towards them. How have you loved us, God? That was the problem. They didn't trust God's provision, God's love. Now, before we cast too much blame on them, we should look to ourselves. It's pretty easy to question God's love. When things are going bad, it's pretty easy to question God's provision when finances go astray. 
I mean, how many of you this very week, as you're watching the market go up and down and up and down and up and down, you got fearful and you worried and you wondered if God was going to take care of you? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise it for you. Right? We all did. We all wondered if God could truly provide it. If the markets go bad and the lending goes bad, then, then we can't get the loans and we can't do the business. And if the business doesn't do bad, I mean, you know how this goes. It happened for you all this week. You worried. And if you're like me, you, you lost sleep. Worrying into the wee hours of the night. You did what, what Robert Frost once said when he said, I stayed up last night babysitting the world. There's a poem that's entitled Sleep. And in it, God is speaking and he says, God, sleep is, God says, sleep is perhaps the most beautiful thing I've ever created. And I myself rested on the seventh day. And then the poem goes on to say, and God speaks, and he says, My poor people, they don't know what's good. They look after their business very well during the day, but they haven't enough confidence in me to let me look after it during the night. As if I wasn't capable of looking after it during just one night. Isn't that the problem? We stay up worrying, and we stay up worrying because we don't believe that God is actually watching, that God's actually taking care of us. We don't actually believe that God can carry us through or that God's good hand is still guiding us and everything around. We don't believe that, and so we doubt, and so we worry. And when the financial markets go south, so too does our faith. We worry, and we lose sleep. I mean, I'm the pastor of a church, and I worry. I worry about these things. I worry about gas prices. I worry about going to the store and paying that bill. I worry about making an a, a offering to the church. Even more, I, I don't just worry. I, I, I feel guilt at times because I wish I could do even more. And then comes shame. Because I go, oh, you should have more faith in that. You should believe that God really provides. Again, I'm the pastor of a church. And it's so easy when I was 20, but it's a lot harder now that I have children. And a mortgage. I'm glad my kids are still small enough they don't eat the whole house out yet. <laughs> I know. And the pastor of a church and I worry. We all worry and we, we question God's love. We know that he will provide for us. But the sinners in us, the sinner in us, in me and you, still struggle. And we question God's love. Whether it's financial, whether it's health, or whether it's with our family, we question. And so what is God to do with us? What is God to do with the people that constantly turn away from him instead of turn towards him? What is God to do? Martin Luther once said, you know, if I were God, I'd blow the world to bits. 
Probably true, you know. Many think that's what God needs to do. You know, God needs to get tough with us. He needs to punish us. He really needs to, to stick it to us. And if he sticks it to us just hard enough, then maybe, just maybe, we'll get serious. If he, if he makes his command strong enough, then maybe we'll wake up and we'll change. Has this ever worked in the Bible? <laughs> it works for a day, but never longer. Why? Because, because commands might get our attention, but they don't capture our hearts. Commands don't change our hearts. Husbands, you know this. A honey-do list. You're commanded to do this, and you might do it. You don't want to do it. Or wives, if your husband ever said, the Bible says submit, how would that work? <laughs> right? I mean, that doesn't work. Commands don't work. God needs to grab our heart and change our heart. I came across a letter written by a little girl who said, Dear God, is a letter to God. My mom told me that you said we have to love our enemies. My mom also told me that you said do unto others as they do unto you. And so which one is it? <laughs> I'm not done. I hope it's the second one because I really want to fix my brother. <laughs> right? Which command is it? Give me the command and I'll follow it. But it won't actually fix my heart. It won't actually cause me to love the person I need. Commands don't fix our hearts. The problem with commanding us to stop worrying is it doesn't work that way. It doesn't do a bit of good to say don't worry or there's nothing to be afraid of. Hearing such words just make you more worried about being worried. And so what is God to do? The only thing that God is to do is to break the cycle God must speak a promise to us to turn our eyes away from ourselves and turn us back to God, to open us up to what he has to say. And so God must speak, and he must speak a word of promise. And that's exactly what God does all throughout this passage of Malachi. In verse 6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What does that mean? He means to say, I never destroyed you in the past. I've always been merciful to you. I have steadfast love towards you. I'll continue to do that. Or verse 7, God says, Return to me, and I will return to you. Do you hear those words of invitation? God is inviting them. He's calling them. You've turned away from me. God says, Return to me. Come back to me. Come back home. Home is a place where when you have to go there, I have to let you in. And I want to let you in. Return to me, God says in verse 7. Or verse 10. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And that's the only place God says test me, pretty much, in all of Scripture. Test me in this. Put me to the test. See if I'm true, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that you will not have room enough for it. And that right there is an image back to Noah, where God opened the windows and poured out down rain. Well, this time God says, test me, and I'll open up the windows and pour down blessing upon you, just like I did in the wilderness when I rained down manna upon the people. Test me in this, God says. Why? Because God wants to lure us back to him. 
that we might return to him. You see, God doesn't just say, don't worry, and then goes away, leaving us in our fears. We have a God who says, I promise to be your God and to give you everything good. And then God keeps his word, giving us not only our daily bread, but the other things we need to live from day to day. And God doesn't just say, don't feel guilty. God says, here's what I've done about your guilt. I've heaped it all on Christ, and he's carried it for you, drowning all your sins in my guilt and my, my, in my grace. Or God says, here's what I think of you with all of your shame. I love you more than you could love or hate yourself. You're mine. Return to me. That's what God says to us. And God even goes further. In this meal, God enters into bread and into wine. He says, return to me. Take and eat. This is for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. I am for you. Return to me. Come back to me. Turn your eyes to me, God says. And so what are we to do when, when things are falling apart? Simple. God says to us, return to me. Return to me and, and confess your sins so that you might hear the absolution that you're forgiven. Return to me, God says. Read my word. It's filled with promises for you. Return to me in prayer. I am there with you. I love to hear your prayers. Pray to me. Return to me. Or return to me in this meal. Come forward and receive Christ who is for you. Return to me, God says. You who are weak and heavy laden, hear the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Return to me. In Jesus' name, amen.